The following sermon is from New Life Baptist Church, where we exist to see lives transformed by the gospel as we make, mature, and mobilize disciples of Jesus. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at newlifeba.org. With that being said, welcome to 2024, church. As is the case at the beginning of the year, it's the season for New Year's resolutions, right? How many of you have established a New Year's resolution this year? A bunch of, we got a group of ambitious people. None of you uh, have established a New Year's resolution uh, this year. So uh, maybe to give you some ideas, uh, if you do that, um, maybe goals is a better word than resolution. Resolution, that's a very, words matter, definitions matter, and uh, man, that's a very strong word. So um, Maybe goal is better, but uh, to give you some ideas, Forbes magazine, they recently did a study on the top New Year's resolutions for 2024, and some of them include improving on fitness, which is something I'd like to do, uh, improving someone's finances, improving their mental health, losing weight, improving your diet, making more time for loved ones, stop smoking, learn a new skill, make more time for hobbies, improve work-life balance, travel a bit more. Uh, meditate regularly, uh, that's the world's uh, version of prayer, drink less alcohol, and perform better at work. And so I would say most of those are good and noble go- goals to strive for this year. Um, however, Forbes left off, they left off the most important thing you could do in 2024. Because while it's good to focus on your physical health, your emotional health, your financial health, your mental health, all of those things are good. What happens is that most people, they strive for all these different areas of their life and they neglect the most important. And that is one's spiritual health. And so if you only had one resolution this year, what would it be? Well, this morning, I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And I want to encourage you above all else this year, to devote yourself to one thing, and that is to abide in Jesus Christ. This morning, my prayer is that you you will see what it means to abide in Christ. We throw that phrase around a lot, don't we? If you're a Christian, if you've been in church for a while, you've heard that phrase, to abide in Christ. But what does that mean? Well, my, my prayer is that you'll understand, at least in part, what that means this morning, and as a result, that you will live with a vibrant spiritual health this year. Or to put it another way, my prayer is that you will see how to remain in the root so that you will bear fruit. Remain in the root to bear fruit. And before we begin this morning, I I just want you to know that there's a lot uh, in this passage that I will not get to touch on. Uh, My original manuscript was about 50 minutes, and so you're welcome. Uh, I cut it down considerably, but I'm leaving a lot of meat on the bone this morning. And so hopefully, Lord willing, we'll revisit this passage uh, uh, Sunday, uh, another Sunday. Uh, but if I don't touch on something, please know uh, that that's why. So with that being said, and speaking of resolutions, uh, we're going to try it this year, church. Uh, and so if you would, in honor of God's word, as we read God's word, if you would stand with me, if you're physically able, if you would stand with me in honor of God's word as we read his word. And then at the very end of it, we're, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord and your response will be, thanks be to God. Our Lord Jesus himself said this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean 
because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes now to behold wondrous things out of your word. You'd help us to see with the eyes of our hearts your truth in such a way that it it shapes how we live the rest of today and this week and this year and for our lives. Give us your grace this morning, I pray, that we would abide in you and you in us. pray all this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So when, when, when we come to this passage, it, it might seem a, a bit confusing at first, those first couple verses. What, what, what's this, all this talk about abiding? What does that mean? What, what does it mean for branches to be cut off and thrown into the fire? Does that mean I can lose my salvation if I stop abiding in Jesus? What, what's the point of this passage? Before I show you what this passage does mean and its powerful implications for your life, I want to share first what it doesn't mean. First, this passage is not teaching that you can lose your salvation. Now, granted, if you were just a reader without carefully studying it, the opposite might seem seem true. Look at verses 2 and verses 6. They might seem to indicate that a person can lose their salvation. Branches cut off, thrown away, gathered up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Branches that were previously connected to the vine, branches that were abiding, remaining in the vine, not so. What's because they weren't actually abiding in the vine. And I think when Jesus was saying those couple verses, he had in mind his disciple, Judas. Judas, he sure appeared connected to the vine, didn't he? I mean, he followed Jesus for three years. He had all the outward accolades to prove his commitment to following Jesus. But the ultimate fruit of his life proved that while he was near to Christ, he was not in Christ. He was not connected to the vine. And so before we begin our study this morning, I just might maybe want to ask that question and pose it to you. Could that be true of you as well? Maybe you're near to church, you're near to the things of God. But I just want to ask you this morning, are you in Christ? Are you connected to the vine? Do you know him? This morning, it is vital that we understand what it means to abide in Jesus and what it does not mean. And so again, to reiterate, abiding in Jesus does not secure a person's salvation, but rather Jesus is saying it is the evidence of one's salvation. Where do I get that look with me? At verse three, Jesus says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And so our salvation is secure, not in our fruit, but it's secure in our Christ. 
If you are in Christ, if you're a Christian, if you have stopped trusting in yourself and are entirely trusting in Jesus for salvation, then Jesus says this to you this morning. You are already clean. At this very moment, clean. Now this word clean that Jesus uses, it can also be translated as pure. And it's the same exact word that Jesus uses in John chapter 13 verses 10 through 11. And so if you remember that passage, that passage talks about Jesus uh, washing the feet of his disciples. And so Jesus, he stoops down to his disciples, smelly and dirty feet. He takes a towel, he dips it in the water, and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. And then you know what happens next, right? Peter has a Peter moment. Uh, Peter tells Jesus, you shall never wash my feet. And then Jesus answers him by saying, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And so then in typical overreactionary Peter-like fashion, he says something like, well, I want to be with you. So don't just wash my feet, wash my entire body. But check out what Jesus says in response. He says, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. Did you catch that? Those who have been bathed in the blood of Jesus are completely clean. Now, there are some of you in this room this morning who don't feel that to be true. And either your conscience or the devil, he is whispering in your ear right now. That sounds great, but don't you remember what you did this past week? Don't remember how you spoke to that person. Don't you remember how you treated your spouse or your children or another family member? Don't you know all the times you have failed Jesus? You think you're clean? Really? The whispers of your conscience and the whispers of your devil, they will say that to you. If that is you this morning, I need you to look at me right now. If you are a Christian, you are clean in Christ because it's his work that makes you clean and not your own. These aren't my words, but they're the words of the one who knows you through and through the bad and the ugly. You are already clean. And so this morning, believe the words of your Savior and praise him in your heart even now that because he bore your sins on the cross, because he took the penalty you and I deserved, he has given you his perfect righteousness. And so as a result, you Christian this morning, you are perfectly clean in the almighty holy God's sight. Yes, there will inevitably be the dust of sin that collects on your feet throughout your journey of life. But oh, what love that when we confess our sins, we have a Savior. And just, oh, the humility that we have a Savior, that though he is the sovereign king of glory, he still stoops down. He takes the towel and he washes our sin-ridden feet. And so we say together as a church, hallelujah, what a Savior we have. And so while abiding in Christ, it doesn't secure our salvation, as I said earlier, it is still the evidence of our salvation. Because it is the experiential, relational aspect of the Christian life. In short, abiding in Jesus, abiding in the true vine means that you are growing in a personal, relational knowledge of him. Because at its core, Christianity is not another ethical, moral religion. In this world, there, there are many of them, and, and to be sure, there are ethics and there is morality in Christianity. But, but it's not just that. It's not just a guide to right living in this world. It does include that, but it's so much more. Because re- 
Christianity is not merely a moral religion. It is predominantly a relational religion. The essence of Christianity is not moralism to try to live a squeaky clean life. And its purpose isn't just to produce responsible citizens in our society. No, the essence and the purpose of Christianity is the same. And that is to know Christ. To truly, really, actually know the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing Jesus then is what it means to abide, to remain, to be connected to him. Notice that language in verse 4. Jesus says, abide in me. And so abiding in Jesus, it doesn't consist of some conceptual formula. Do these four things and then you will abide. It's not a mechanical process. No, Jesus says, abide in me. And me, abiding in Jesus, it is directly personal. A person can know a lot of facts about the Bible. He or she can even memorize the entire Bible. They can have right theology and know a lot of biblical truths. An individual can even be extremely zealous in evangelism, telling others about Jesus. But these things in and of themselves, they do not equate to knowing Jesus personally. In one of the most harrowing and haunting passages of the Bible, Jesus says in Matthew 7, that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And Jesus says on that day, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not tell others about you? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not, do, did we not serve in others in your name? Did we, did, did we not do mighty works in your name? And Jesus says, then I will declare to them, I, what, never knew you depart from me you workers of lawlessness did you catch that i never knew you knowing facts about jesus or even doing good things for him it doesn't necessarily mean that you know him if you don't know him personally friend one day he will say to you i never knew you depart from me And so if that might describe you this morning, listen, that's really bad news. But I also have good news for you this morning. You can know Jesus this morning in a saving way. Jesus invites you this morning to know him because he has said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But if you are in this room and you do know him personally, if you have been washed, if you've been made clean by the blood of Christ, And I encourage you this morning with everything within me, seek to know the Lord Jesus Christ more and more every day. Abide in Jesus. Remain in him. The Apostle Paul, the one who visibly saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, the one who received special revelation by the Holy Spirit, the one who knew the Lord Jesus intimately, and the one who authored many books of the New Testament, like Romans, Ephesians, and Colossians, This is what he said in Philippians 3. The one who knew the Lord Jesus intimately, he said this, that I may know him. The mark of a Christian is that there is an aspirational desire to continually know the Lord Jesus every single day, more and more. It was his aim, his life's ambition to know Christ. And it ought to be our same ambition today. And so what is it that you want to do with your life? What are your dreams, your hopes, your aspirations? I want to encourage you this morning to make this one thing your highest ambition in life. To know the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything else is fleeting in life. But knowing Christ is a substance. 
Now, you may be agreeing with me this morning and saying, yes, I want to know him more. I want to abide in him. But how do I do that? Well, thankfully, Jesus gives us guiding principles for how to abide in him. And the first one is this. To abide in Jesus means that we remain in his word. Look with me at verse uh, verse 7 where Jesus says that in order to abide in him, we must remain in his word. His word is to abide in us. Before we abide in Jesus, his word must abide in us. So this is more than knowing scripture or memorizing scripture. No, this begins when, when this happens, when his truth begins to shape how we live. It happens when we meditate and we drink deeply of his word, when his word begins to literally transform our affections, our attitudes and our actions in life. Earlier in John chapter 8, Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. To abide in Jesus, then we must remain. We must plant our lives firmly upon the truth, the promises and the commands of his word. His word is to abide within us. And so what a perfect time, right, at the beginning of a new year to renew this focus of remaining in his word. So if you don't already have a reading plan for this year, I want to encourage you. I, I ran new copies. Uh, they should be on the foyer of our second year of our two-year Bible reading plan. And if you didn't do year one with us, that's okay. Uh, just, I want to just pick that up as you walk out. Jump right on in with us and continue on in our two-year Bible reading plan. We'll, con- we'll finish the Old Testament and we'll read the New Testament again this year. And I also want to encourage you. If you want to grow in your knowledge and your study of scripture, I've made these little laminated sheets out there and it's in the foyer as well. So I want to encourage you to pick one of these up as well. But as you read God's word, how, do, how does the truth of God's word dwell richly within us? What's well, when we begin to meditate on its truth? And so questions like, what does it say? What does it mean? And what does it mean for me today? Those questions and a lot of other questions that are on this sheet, they help you to walk through a passage And to see the timeless truth there, how it applies to your life and how your life should change as a result. The Apostle Apostle Paul uh, would put it this way in Colossians 3. He said, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. And so would that be a good description of how you interact with God's word on a daily basis? Is it dwelling richly within you? Is there staying power with God's word in your heart? That his truth guides and directs your steps and your decisions and your interactions throughout the day. As Jesus said, is your house, is the house of your life firmly planted upon his word? I want to encourage you as you study God's word, as you spend time with him, don't rush through your time. Open your time in prayer. Pray throughout your study of his word and end it with prayer. As you Man, many times when I'm reading and studying God's word, I will just ask the Lord, open dialogue, ask the Lord, Lord, help me to see, help me to understand. Just let it be an open dialogue with the Lord. Because when you dwell in his word, you're dwelling with him. It's better to only read five verses and meet with the Lord than it is to read five chapters and forget what you read. We are to remain in his word. But also Jesus says that to abide in him, we are to rest in his love. Look with me at verse 9, where Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And I'm very tempted to get into that, the, the analogy and the comparison Jesus uses there, but time prevents us. But suffice to say, and let this truth wash over you, 
you will never come to the end of knowing the love of Jesus for you. That's why Paul prayed, and we studied it this past year in Ephesians 3, that, 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 that God would give you strength by his spirit to strengthen your inner man, your inner woman, your inner self, that you would be strengthened in such a way to comprehend the height, the length, the breadth, the depth of the love of Christ for you. And so if you are a Christian, Jesus loves you with a perfect, unfailing, unchanging, and irrevocable love. He loves you with the love that he demonstrated on the cross. And he loves you with a love that he continually pours out into your hearts by the Holy Spirit every day. And so never once, never once doubt your Jesus' love for you. As we looked at uh, during our Advent season in John chapter 1, remember that Jesus, he left the glories of heaven. He laid aside his divine glory and rights. He became one of his creation. He humbled himself to the point of a humiliating and cruel death on the cross. And on the cross, he willingly endured God's judgment for your sin, that you might receive his mercy, that you might be forgiven, and that you might be able to claim now the title of beloved son and beloved daughter of Almighty God. He came, he died, and he rose from the dead to rescue you because he loves you. So what are we to do? We're to abide, rest, remain in his great love for you. There is no end to the love of Jesus. And so when you think you've reached its depths, so friend, you have just begun, you've just begun to scratch the surface. An old Puritan pastor uh, once wrote this, John Flavel. He said, out of Christ's condemnation flows my justification. Out of his agony comes my victory. Out of his pain comes my ease. Out of his stripes comes my healing. Out of his gall and vinegar comes my honey. Out of his curse comes my blessing. Out of his crown of thorns comes my crown of glory. Out of his sin atoning death comes my eternal life. And he continues on to say, oh, what a melting consideration is this. In heaven, the redeemed shall view Jesus with as much wonder and love him with as much ardor after millions of years as they did when they first saw him. And he ends by saying, there is no bottom in the love of Christ. It surpasses all knowledge. Abide, rest in his great love for you. The third way we abide in Jesus uh, Jesus says, is that we request his ear. There are other ways, uh, but for time's sake, I can't touch on them. Notice what Jesus says in verse 7. He says this, If you abide in me, and if my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And so herein lies the secret to successful praying, that when we commune with the Lord Jesus, and when our lives and when our wills and our prayers are being conformed to his will, the Lord Jesus promises, ask and it will be done. In verse 5, Jesus says that apart from him, we can do what, church? Nothing. Nothing. But dear friends, when we pray, God works. And he works through us. So don't give up in prayer. Pray, plead the promises of God, and persevere in prayer until God answers. Because you have the ear of the Almighty One. Tim Keller once said that, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is the king's child. 
Church, we have that kind of access. So may we then never be content loitering about in the outer courts. Now may we always remember, church, that because our great high priest has gone before us, Jesus our Lord, because he has opened the door wide open to the Holy of Holies, and because he has made us sons and daughters of the living God, we may then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace in time of need. So church family, I want to encourage you to speak regularly with the Lord in prayer. Like Jacob, wrestle with him in prayer and tell him, I will not leave you until you bless me. Be like that persistent widow in Luke 18. Request the ear of your Savior and King through prayer because you have his ear. He is ready to hear you. And he is ready to answer every God-glorifying prayer that is uttered from faith. May we then show our dependence upon him through prayer. And remember that truth, apart from him, we can do nothing. And so finally, this morning, we've seen what it means, at least in part, we've begun to see what it means to abide in Jesus, to remain in his word, to rest in his love, and to request his ear. But what should that lead to? What is the result of abiding in Jesus? Jesus puts it very simply. It's too big that we would bear fruit. When we abide, we produce fruit. Verse 5, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And in verse 2, Jesus says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, the gardener, God the Father, he takes away. But every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. In short, those who abide in Christ will bear much fruit for Christ. And so maybe temperature time, temperature gauge time. What what kind of fruit are you displaying in your life? Is it the fruit that is born out of total dependence upon the Lord and fruit that will last for all eternity? Or maybe are you trying to produce fruit from the work of your own hands? Maybe to be specific, is the garden in the orchard of your life, is it bringing forth the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, humility, generosity, and other things like these? Is the fruit of spirit-empowered holiness, is it on display for all to see? Not perfect, but visible. Or is the garden of your life, is it maybe bringing forth the toxic fruit of Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, bitterness, gossip, slander, bickering, division, envy, drunkenness, greed, covetousness, materialism, and other things like these. Which garden is your life planted in? What, what is the kind of fruit you are bearing in your life? Jesus says, every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree, it bears bad fruit. So if you're not bearing the fruit of righteousness like you should in your life, maybe, and if you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit right now, then that's a good thing. It's a good thing. And let me tell you why the conviction of the Holy Spirit is a good thing. It means that your spirit is still sensitive to his work in you. So if you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I encourage you to repent. But what I don't want you to do... (laughs) Your action item is not to double down and make a New Year's resolution and say, I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder. (laughs) Because if you leave this morning thinking that, you've missed the point entirely. 
The way we bear fruit in the Christian life is not by trying harder. It's by abiding in Christ more deeply. The way you bear fruit isn't looking to your own strength, but rather by looking to the one and by depending on the one who said, whoever abides in me and I am, he it is that bears much fruit. Jesus, he is the only one that can produce the fruit of righteousness within you. You can't do it on your own. You can't faithfully live the Christian life in your own strength. And maybe some of you this morning, you're trying to do that. So if that's you, look to him. Die to yourself every day and rely totally on him by faith. Walk by faith and actively, not passively, actively pursue the Lord and depend on him to produce the fruit of righteousness within you. And so I'll end this morning with this final encouragement. And that is this church. Jesus wants you to bear fruit in your life. Sometimes doesn't it feel like we're just climbing an uphill battle, right? But this truth turns it on its head, right? Jesus desires, he wills that you bear fruit in your life. Because he says in verse 8 that your fruit bearing, it brings great glory to God the Father. And so from time to time, he may ask his father, the gardener, the vine dresser, he may ask the gardener to prune you to painfully cut away certain sins or worldly comforts that are restricting your growth and choking out any potential fruit. He will do whatever it takes to produce fruit in your life because his glory is at stake and because your soul depends on it. One day, the gardener, the vine dresser, he will walk through and he will inspect the garden of your, he will inspect the garden in the, uh, of your life to see if there was any fruit. No fruit means no connection to the vine. And no connection to the vine, Jesus says, means being thrown away into the fire and burned. But if you are his, then you are his eternally. And so take heart. You will bear fruit. So remain in the root that you may bear fruit today, this week, and for the rest of your life. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you have any questions or if we can serve you in any way, please connect with us at newlifeba.org.